I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on daily life, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. From the outset of this show, way back in uh, 2014, I wanted to do a show that didn't just uh, go over apologetic topics, but that really looked at what the implications of our faith are. We say we believe. What difference does it make? And so we do that in every episode, whether or not it's, it's overt or not. But it's a little bit more overt today as we are looking at the practice of the veneration of relics. And this relates very closely to that portion of the creed that says, I believe in the communion of saints and the portion that says, I believe in the resurrection of the body. And we'll get into that in a little bit later about how it's connected. But here we are, we're talking about the saints that have gone before us and and what they leave behind, whether that be uh, their own body or whether it be the things that they owned. Uh, and so we're talking about the practice of, of relics and of venerating those relics. Now, of course, anytime we bring up something like this, I have to make it very clear that our, our words and the words that we use matter and mean something. When we're talking about veneration, we are not talking about worship. I can honor something or honor someone without worshiping that someone. Uh, and so worship is something that belongs only to God and that we give only to God. But there are things that should amaze us, should our, our jaws should drop to the floor as we consider it. And as we look to the saints and as we venerate their relics, it should, in its proper place, it should increase our faith and our, our worship of the glory of God, because the saints reflect God's glory to us. They show us God's faithfulness as we look at their lives. They show us the power of the Holy Spirit as we look at their lives, and they spur us on to imitate their actions. Yes, you and I are called to grow in holiness because we are supposed to be like Christ. But as much as we can be like Christ, there's always, until the time comes where we are perfectly purified by God, we are different because we are not divine, right? We can share in the divine nature as we grow closer to Christ, but no matter what happens, we are not divine. We are created. But the saints, ah, the saints we can be like because they are people, they are creatures created by God who may have even had some serious faults at some point in time in their life. And yet, through their relationship with Christ, they were perfected. They were brought into that perfect friendship with Christ and now dwell before the throne of God forever, praising him, adoring him, and praying for us here on earth. So what does it mean for us to believe in the communion of the saints? Obviously, the Scripture has very negative things to say about communicating to the dead for the purpose of discerning the future, right? You look in the book of, of Deuteronomy, and there are some very strong statements against what's called necromancy in that specific place in Scripture. Uh, and, and so somehow, the communion of the saints is different than that. Somehow, there is a communication, a, a, a joined union with the saints that is not the same as, uh, as sorcery or as necromancy. And so, what does that look like? 
you know, growing up in the Protestant church, basically the idea was we don't talk about it, right? Don't We say, I believe in the communion of the saints, and that's really the saints on earth, and we all have union with one another, even though we don't like that group over there. And we're just not going to even think about the afterlife other than being completely and totally separated from it until such time as we pass away and find ourselves in their presence, and yay, then we're all homecoming together. And, and so that was a little bit unsatisfactory to me because we say, I believe in the communion of the saints. What does that mean? The very first satisfactory answer I was ever given on that question as a Protestant was from Father Peter Mangum, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago talking about the Shroud of Turin. And uh, I had this dream one night as a teenager that, uh, that my grandfather came and and spoke to me in my dream, and, and not spoke to me as in gave a proclamation, but we had a conversation. I didn't remember any of it, but I just remembered that he was there and that I couldn't see his face, and I just had this dream of of sitting in the room with my grandfather who passed away when I was 10 months old. And uh, and Father Peter said to me, well, you know, we would say that that you had an experience of the communion of the saints, that that, that conversation happened and that that presence was there as a consolation for you. And man, that was a mind-blown moment where I just had no idea that that could be what the communion of the saints was. Now, of course, I I didn't summon him. I didn't uh, somehow do the right thing to make him appear to me and give me some answer. No, it was it was a moment of consolation where it just it just happened through no action of my own. But it was a deep consolation to me at that time of my life. And, you know, he's not a canonized saint, but, but I had that, that connection and that communion that, that I deeply appreciated. And now, how much more for us to have that kind of relationship and that kind of communion with the church, the whole church, the church triumphant, the ones that have gone before us and now sit before the throne of God. It's one thing for you and I to say, uh, you know, oh, I lost my keys, St. Anthony, help me out. And it's another thing to develop a relationship with those saints who have walked the same path that we have walked, that, that they've experienced the same hardships that we've experienced, and to know that they are directly before the throne of God the Father Almighty, and they are interceding for us. So today we're going to explore that and more as we look at the practice of relics and venerating relics. We're going to talk with Father Carlos Martins. He runs a program called Treasures of the Church. You can find it by going to treasuresofthechurch.com and look at the the fantastic ministry that's there and all the work and the, the travels that they do, introducing people not only to the practice of venerating relics, but actually giving them the opportunity to do that through bringing uh, relics along with them and, and introducing the congregations and the people who attend, introducing them to the saints in a very particular and profound way. Don't go anywhere. That's right after this break. Join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. I want to hear from you. Talk to me about today's show, ask questions about next week's show and maybe get your question answered on air. If you listen on Apple podcasts or on Google music, why don't you leave us a review and help others find the show and fall in love with it as well. Don't go anywhere. We're going to have a fabulous conversation when we come back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. If you follow me on facebook.com slash step outside the walls or Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls, you know that today we're talking about relics. We had the opportunity to sit down on Monday in the hotel room of an expert and talk about it. So let's go listen to that conversation now. We're joined by Father Carlos Martins. He's a member of the Companions of the Cross and currently runs a ministry called Treasures of the Church. You can find out information about it by going to treasuresofthechurch.com. And this ministry involves you traveling around the country with, uh, with a great cloud of witnesses, as it were, bringing with you relics of the saints uh, without, uh, without cost to the church, coming into various parishes around the country and introducing them to the saints through the practice of the veneration of relics. That's right, Tim, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, so, yeah, I bring relics of the saints. So relics are physical objects that have a direct association with the saints or with our Lord. And they're typically divided up into three categories or three classes. First-class relics are the body or fragments of the body of a saint. Second-class relics or anything that a saint owned, uh, anything that, uh, that belonged to a saint, such as an item of clothing or an instrument that, that they would have used. Third-class relics are any object touched to a first, second, or even another third-class relic of a saint. So why would I do this? Because devotion to relics is something that is as old as the Christian church. Uh, from the earliest days in the faith, relics were venerated. And they were venerated because the scriptures inform us that God likes to work the miraculous through relics. So we hear about, for example, in the Old Testament, in the second book of Kings, mm -hmm. that a man was, had died and was being buried, and he was being buried in a grave in which the prophet Elisha had already been buried. And so inadvertently, that dead body came into contact with the bones of Elisha. And it states that when that occurred, two things happened. The man came back to life, and then he sprang to his feet. Mm -hmm. In the New Testament, we hear about St. Paul walking down the street and then being touched with handkerchiefs and aprons. In other words, every day, any old cloth. Mm -hmm. And then they would lay them on, on the sick. And again, two things would occur. Evil spirits, if they had them, would leave them. And whatever diseases they had, they would depart. Uh, so God likes to work the miraculous through relics. And, and so the church has honored this, has, has repeated this from time immemorial. The church would celebrate mass over the tombs of the martyrs in the earliest days of the church. When Christianity became legal and when, after the, the Edict of Milan, when it was forbidden to persecute Christians, then the church could now build churches, build places of worship, whereas before they couldn't. And so what they would do is they would bring the remains of the saints and place them again beneath the altars. Well, and this is a practice that, even if you're unaware of it, happens in, in every parish because every altar has a relic in it, yes? Um, well, it is customary to place a saint's relic in every church altar. The church removed the universal prescription because in some countries, 
such as Muslim countries, uh, it's very difficult to procure a relic uh, and or if the civil authorities discover that there is human remains in a place where they don't want it, mm-hmm. it can bring a difficulty upon the church. So okay. the universal prescription is, is uh, there are exemptions for that. Uh, but nevertheless, it is at the heart of the church to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, as you mentioned, something that is occurs in, in every liturgical celebration, that relics are being venerated because the Eucharist is being celebrated over them. Mm-hmm. And when the priest venerates the altar at the end, at the start and at the end of Mass, what he's doing is he's, he's venerating the relics that are inside the altar. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of people, and of course I'm a convert, so I, this was something that I wrestled with as I came into the church and came into a, a fuller understanding of all the different ways that we that we get to practice our faith. Uh, but a lot of people have maybe some qualms, maybe they're a little uneasy with this idea of veneration of relics. In fact, I asked some of our, our uh, listeners some what questions they had for you, and, and I've gotten a few back, and, and one of them that, that came up a couple of times was this. Uh, they said, can you explain why we should reverence them? They, that uh, It feels in a way that it elevates a saint or an object to a supernatural level uh, that can be confused with worshiping. So the idea of uh, some people maybe think of relics like an amulet, like if I just have this relic or if I just uh, venerate this one thing that's in the right way, then all of a sudden I'm protected from X, Y, Z and treated almost like a magical sure. thing. So what would you say to that? Sure. To that so, that's, so that's a very good question. Um, and, and how I'll answer that is pointing out to the fact that over and over, St. Paul in his epistles identifies how we are members of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So that we, we are actually limbs, if you will, of that body. So when somebody wholly dies, their mortal remains are remains that one day will be in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Their soul is already there. Their body is awaiting that resurrection. But their soul, which is now beholding God face to face, is no less present in their mortal remains. That connection doesn't leave. So the their openness to our prayers is, is more evident, is more real, is more tangible, if you will, in the presence of the relics than not. So that's one. Mm-hmm. Secondly, when we venerate God's saints, we're taking nothing away from the, from the worship of God. First of all, we don't worship the saints, right. nor their relics. Worship is due to God alone, period. Mm-hmm. But we venerate, we honor, we treat with profound respect because these are the heroes of our faith. And these heroes are intercessors for us. They're not mediators. We have one mediator in the faith. Right. But we have many intercessors. And... When God looks at his saints, who are the crown jewels of creation, and, you know, when God created the book of Genesis informs us, he looked upon what he has made and saw that it was good. Well, when he looks upon his saints, he sees that they are very, very good. God isn't jealous of his saints. Like a good parent, he's proud of his kids. He likes attention to be doled upon his children. He's not threatened by that. We don't worship them, 
but we do honor and venerate them. If you're just joining us, we're talking today with Father Carlos Martins. Uh, he ministers this wonderful ministry through Treasures of the Church. Go go look at it, treasuresofthechurch.com. And you, you bring up this idea uh, of that ongoing, persisting connection between body and soul. And uh, growing up in the Protestant church, you know, I, I had this unknown to me, but really this almost Gnostic idea of once I die, that that's just the body and my soul's in heaven and I'm happy. And and I, I hear that even from some Catholics today, but the whole idea of the belief, not only of the communion of the saints, that we have uh, the ability to to have them intercede for us and, and to have relationship with the saints, but also the belief in the resurrection of the body, that this body that I have right now is the body that I will have in heaven. And in, in the same way that I can pray to, to Jesus in any place, but there's a more profound connection when I can go in adoration and I'm there in his sure. presence. Uh, is that somewhat of the same idea when we go and we are praying uh, and asking for the intercessions of the saints in the presence of their tangible uh, physical relic? Certainly, certainly, of course. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head that in the Eucharist, we have Christ there in his physicality. Christ is everywhere. God is everywhere. But there is a more tangible, more palpable uh, presence where the Eucharist is. And so that for us is God's presence in a greater fullness. And so he is there by his will in a way that is greater, more tangible, and more accessible to us. With regard to the saints, I mean, next to the Eucharist, the relics of the saints are nothing. I mean, right. but but we're not, and neither is God, a minimalist with regard to the sources of of grace. God, the, our faith is made up of many different things, which all contribute to the a wonderful symphony of grace available to us. Uh, God hasn't given us just the Eucharist, although that is the greatest gift that he has given us. Mm-hmm. All of these other things aid us in our overall worship of God. You know, God gives us all of the sacraments really through through some tangible expression that we receive his his graces in a way that our uh, our physical bodies can can receive. That he's not just leaving us uh, as as prisoners to what we uh, emote, to what we feel, but he gives us something tangible to interact with. And so I, I look at just human nature and how we treat those that we love who have passed on. And I see that God recognizes that and sees that it's good and then allows us to also receive that kind of grace as we approach the saints. So I think about um, my, my grandparents who have passed away. And I feel a, a more profound connection when I go and I visit their grave, right? And I go and I, uh, whether or not there's anything um, spiritual going on there, I feel a connection to my history and to my heritage and to those who have gone before me by being present. Uh, and, and so God sees that. And I, and I think in some ways God placed that in us and allows us to to now approach the saints who are completely and fully alive, the one church, right? Because God doesn't have more than one. He's got the saints in heaven who are currently praying for his church on earth. Uh, And he allows that connection to be strengthened uh, as we come and approach that, that person's physicality. You bet. You bet. 
And you see that in people who come to the expositions that I hold, you know. You'll have Mrs. Schepphaus who has been devoted to, for example, St. Therese the Little Flower her whole life and has never encountered a relic of hers. But when she picks up the hair that I bring of hers, it's, it's an overwhelming thing for her. Like there is a closeness that you can see Mrs. Shephouse has. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and St. Therese is more palpable, is more present to her because of that. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing to see. And of course, my ministry, I mean, it's... It, at the end of the day, <laughs> the last thing that that I would want is a traveling museum mm-hmm. of oddities. The ministry is one of evangelization and healing. Uh, so the relics come. the The point of the relics is to encounter God. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is I give a teaching and a presentation in which I relay the church's theology of relics. I talk about the spirituality behind relics. And then I give stories of how God has worked with the relics that form part of my own ministry. We're talking with Father Carlos Martins. He is the, the purveyor of treasuresofthechurch.com, where he travels introducing people to the saints. We're going to talk some of the stories that he has gathered from this ministry, even some of the healings that have occurred through this ministry. Just after this break, join us over on social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. And don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and the implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. A couple of weeks ago, if you listened, we were talking about the Shroud of Turin uh, and, and what a, an amazing uh, relic this is, and, and uh, an icon and a tool of evangelization, and so much of the people who have been there. We talked last week with uh, Joe Heschmeyer, talked to us about when he first approached it as a skeptic and was there praying to God in the presence of it and just became convinced because there was something of the, the spiritual uh, experience that he had in that room that just made him aware uh, and convinced him that this was the burial shroud of Jesus. And today we're continuing this conversation uh, as we pr- proceed through the Lenten season about our connection to the communion of the saints uh, in this in this specific episode through the question of relics and the veneration of relics. Uh, we're talking today with Father Carlos Martins. He's a member of the Companions of the Cross and currently works in a ministry called Treasures of the Church. You can find out information about it by going to treasuresofthechurch.com, where he travels all around the United States and maybe even the world, introducing people to the saints through their relics. Uh, Father, thank you for joining us today. You are most welcome. Thank you for having me. So you have experienced, as you've traveled the world, uh, introducing people to relics. You you, you mentioned one person's connection who had a, a... a relationship with St. Therese her whole life, but had never encountered a relic and, and how profound a connection that was for her. Mm. Um, you have dozens of stories of this. And, and some uh, tell me a story of a person who came in, maybe just unconvinced, a little bit skeptical, 
and, and what the experience of Treasures of the Church did for them. Well, I can think of a story of a gentleman. He had been born paralyzed uh, in his life. He had spent all of his life in a wheelchair. He was now in his mid-50s. He, I remember this was at Our Lady of St. John Church in Houston, Texas. Uh, he came and, and attended the presentation, the talk that I give that precedes each of the, of the expositions, each of the, the, the times of viewing of the relics. And then afterwards, when, when the people were released to go, to, to go do the, what I call the walk with the saints, the actual viewing and veneration of the relics, he wheeled himself over to one of the reliquaries, to one of the containers that holds and displays a relic, and he placed his hand on top of it. He got up out of his wheelchair and he walked home. Um, the same week, I was at a school, and in attendance was a little nine-year-old girl with cancer, the cancer had manifested itself in the form of a very large tumor, approximately five inches in diameter, and it was poking out of her lower abdomen. The cancer was killing her. She placed her hands on, on top of all of the reliquaries, and during which, and afterwards, she didn't notice anything extraordinary. She didn't feel any differently than she had when she had come in. But what she noticed is that when she sat down in the back seat of her parents' car for the ride home, there was no tumor on her lap. So God had healed her so gently that she didn't even perceive it. Hmm. And so I get to see things like that every day. I've seen hundreds, perhaps thousands of miracles. In fact, when I give an exposition, if the miraculous does not occur, that day was a failure. Hmm. So my job in my talk is to heal people's faith. Once people's faith is healed... For God to take away their cancer, their heart disease, their, you know, whatever ailment they have, what is that to God? Right. Um, and so the, the, the greatest of the healings, I mean, it, when we see a cancer gone, when we see an ailment uh, that disappears or, or an affliction or weakness that is, that is removed from someone, those are great. They're, they're glorious. But they're not what get me out of bed. What gets me out of bed is when somebody, somebody's heart changes. When somebody says to me, I, I've attended your exposition and now I can finally submit to the church's teaching against contraception. Mm-hmm. I can accept that now. I, I can now accept the church's exhortation that I need to be mindful for the poor. Yeah. I, can, I can finally forgive my cousin Charlie for what... He did to me when we were 19 years old. Uh, Those kinds of things are what get me out of bed because you can go to heaven with cancer in your leg, but you can't go to heaven with bitterness in your heart. And so you have this exposition where you have the relics of of hundreds of saints. Mm -hmm. uh, Uh, About 150-ish. Okay. Come, Come on each exposition. And so there they are. They are arranged around a large room. And, and here they are in heaven, having gone through all of the purification that their soul would need. They're standing before the throne of God. They are living in perfect, complete friendship with God. That, that's our, our goal. That's what we're aiming for in life. And, and I just have this picture as, as the parishioners or the, the school students walk into the room, that all the saints are huddled around the, the, the edge of the, 
the ceiling, just kind of looking in and, and praying for each one as they walk through the, the halls, walk through the aisles. And, and what kind of just amazing intercession that would be and, and, and what, you know, what we need is to realize that, yes, that happens in a very special way uh, in these expositions, but I think it's, it's a good thing for us to remember that the saints are doing that for us daily. And the, the, this is a, a matter of the saints knowing because they have walked it, they've lived the hardship. You, you read the lives of the saints, and this one failed at business, and that one uh, died at a young age from, from disease, and they have walked these things, and they know the, the difficulties of the heart, and they're praying for us in the midst of that. You bet. You bet. And, you know, you have somebody as glorious as St. Augustine, who is one of the premier theologians in the church's history. In fact, his title is Doctor of Grace. I mean, how is that for a title? Yet, Augustine struggled with chastity, and it was a a prolonged, multi-year struggle for him to free himself from the ties of the flesh. Mm -hmm. One of the saints that I bring is Blessed Bartolo Longo, who was an ordained satanic priest hmm. who had made a pact with the devil and who practiced Satanism. And then through the promises of Our Lady to those who pray the rosary, he started to pray the rosary like mad uh, and eventually became, uh, you know, John Paul II called him the Apostle of Pompeii and mentions him by name in his apostolic letter on the rosary. And so Longo became just a, an absolutely outstanding witness of the faith and has now been honored with beatification by the church. We're awaiting his canonization. There's one more miracle needed for that. But this is, this is where the saints come from. We have Peter the Apostle mm-hmm. who, who, who denied knowing our Lord three times. That's the equivalent in, in Judaism uh, in Jewish law, rabbinical law, to making an oath, mm-hmm. which means that not only you're attesting the fact that you don't know him, it means in Jewish law, you don't want to know him. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's the equivalent of making a curse. Mm-hmm. Right now, we, we honored him as, as, the, as the first pope of the church, as, as the person upon whom Christ built his church. Mm-hmm. And we're talking, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Father Carlos Martins. And I'm sitting across from you, a, a priest who travels around with uh, introducing people to the saints through their relics. And you grew up an atheist. I did. I did. I, uh, I grew up an atheist. Um, I was baptized as an infant, baptized as a Catholic, but we didn't practice the faith in, in, in uh, my childhood home. Um, and so I grew up, uh, what little faith I had, I I do remember believing in God as a, as a younger child, I lost, uh, and that first, that, that loss came as first or was expressed as first in a practical atheism. I lived as though God didn't exist, but as I got older into my later teens, into my early twenties, that atheism became an intellectual one as well. And so I had an experience of the Eucharist at a retreat house, and, and I was there simply because uh, some Catholic students uh, with whom I was in, at college, they lived their faith in a profoundly loving way, and they radiated a peace that was so palpable 
that it was just powerfully attractive. And so they extended an invitation to me to attend a Eucharistic adoration retreat, and I didn't know what on earth that was. Uh, But I understood it to be, hey, this is going to be a guy's weekend out. This is going to be a beer party. And so, yeah, I'm in. And then when I got there, then I realized what it was. (laughs) And in the midst of uh, an adoration shift, I, I just decided to reach out to God. I said, well, I, I, I don't know if you're here or not. I don't, I don't believe you are. And I, frankly, I felt foolish kneeling in front of what appeared to me to be a cracker, what appeared mm-hmm. to be a cracker. And God reached out to me, and I became aware over the course of that weekend that I was in front of Almighty God. You know, I, I think of just that, that invitation that someone had the courage to come to you who they knew uh, was an atheist and had the courage to invite you to something that not only, hey, come to church with me. First of all, that's amazing just to have that kind of an invitation, but that they would invite you to something so foreign to our mindset as Eucharistic adoration. And we, should, we ought to be praying that God would give us the grace and the courage to extend that kind of invitation because who would have thought knowing you at that time, that this would be something that would change your life. Yeah, I sure didn't. And it, it, nothing has changed my life more. Mm-hmm. Nothing has changed it more. Uh, and so one year after that is when I first got into relics. I made a, a pilgrimage to Rome. While I was there, I met a, another student from, uh, from Ohio here, and he had a relative in the Vatican with access to relics. And so he, through his relative, acquired me some. He saw that I had a devotion to the saints. I then became a, a researcher, and, and there's not many of us around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I started to publish a few things and interviews with me were, were published, then things just grew more and more. Uh, more relics came my way. Monasteries were closing. We're looking for a home for relics. And then around that time, I held my first exposition simply as a way to just give people an exposure to this aspect of the church's life. Uh, And that was, gosh, now many, many, many years ago. From the very first time that an exposition was held, there were healings. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that God wanted this to be... He wanted the relics to be accessible to people. He wanted the faithful to be able to hold these, these heroes in their hands, and he wanted to communicate something special to people through them. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Father Carlos Martins. Uh, please go take a look at this website, treasuresofthechurch.com. Look over all the work that he's done. Look over uh, what, what the schedule is. Maybe he's coming your way. And if he's not yet coming your way, well, there's a place there to invite him as well. Uh, There's no charge to the church at all. It's all free will offering because he wants you to have access to the saints. He wants to bring them to your church to introduce you to the saints in a special way through the veneration of their relics. Don't go anywhere. We've got much more coming right after the break as we continue our conversation today about relics. Join us on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. But don't go too far because we'll be right back. Right after this, you're listening to Outside the Walls. 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Earlier in the show, we were talking with Father Carlos Martins, who is an expert on relics. He helps the church authenticate uh, relics and, and much more. And one of the things that he does is this program called Treasures of the Church. You can go to treasuresofthechurch.com and take a look at that. But he travels around the world introducing parishes and schools and other organizations uh, to the idea of relics, gives a talk about uh, the saints and the communion of the saints, and then introduces them through an exhibition Uh, introduces them to the saints through the veneration of their relics. And everyone that I've heard from that's been to one of these exhibitions has just been absolutely blown away by their experience. So please go take a look at that website, treasuresofthechurch.com. See if uh, they're going to be in your area or if you can invite them to your parish. Uh, and uh, and benefit from that. Now, if you if you really if you missed a part of the conversation, or you want to listen to it again, or you want to share it with someone else who you think may enjoy it, uh, then this conversation has been archived over at outsidethewalls.com, as well as all of the other episodes. You can find this one uh, and share it on social media or through email or any other way that your heart desires. Now, I also I received a lot of questions from. Uh, from listeners about relics this week as I queried people on Twitter and on Facebook. And and I received some great questions that we did not get to in the main portion of the show. But we did ask those questions. Those questions were answered. And that's going to be made available over on our Patreon page. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com and click the Patreon link. And we're going to make that available to everyone this week, not just our patrons. Uh, But we do have, each week, extra segments that go to those people who support the show for as little as $2 a month. You get extra content there. Go ahead and take a look and see if you might be interested in sponsoring us. But regardless, go there and listen to the answers to those questions. Uh, It's going to be well worth your time. Let's turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and from church history. I struggled just a little bit at figuring out what to read this week, specifically as we approach Scripture. Uh, because nothing really seemed to fit. I thought about just reading from Hebrews 11, uh, Hebrews 12, which talks about uh, our relationship to the saints, and that's where we get that scripture, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. But what I came down to is the Sundays of Lent uh, allow for either the reading from the current cycle year or from year A uh, of the three-year lectionary. And so on what I'm doing today is I'm reading from tomorrow's year A reading. This may be the one you hear at, at Mass, depending on if that's the one your, your priest selected, or you may hear the one about the giving of the Ten Commandments out of Exodus 20. Uh, but we're going to start today reading out of Exodus 17 because I think that it can be tied back into this, uh, this idea of, of having the saints before us uh, praying for us. So this comes from Exodus 17 where we read, In those days, in their thirst for water, the people grumbled against Moses, saying, Why did you ever make us leave Egypt? Was it just to have us die here of thirst with our children and our livestock? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? A little more, and they will stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go over there, in front of the people, along with some of the elders of Israel, holding in your hand as you go the staff with which you struck the river. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock in Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will flow from it for the people to drink. 
This Moses did in the presence of the elders of Israel. The place was called Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled there and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord in our midst or not? That reading comes from Exodus 17. And I know it sounds like a far stretch, but that last question is something for us to consider. Is the Lord in our midst or not? And it can be easy to look at our circumstances surrounding us uh, right where we are, whether it be on the local scale in our personal family life or on the national scale or in the worldwide scale, and ask that question, is the Lord in our midst or not? There's so much suffering. There's so much uh, difficulty and trial. Is the Lord in our midst or not? And here the witness of the saints begins to speak up. We look at the lives of the saints not just as an individual moment, which is what we're dealing with as we look at the world around us, but we look at the scope and the scale of their lives, and we look at God's providence among them through the whole course of their life. Looking back, we can see a clearer picture than just the snapshot we have right here in our midst. And so the saints for us give us hope, and they give us uh, a little bit of understanding into who God is because we see his action in their lives as it unfolds. We experience hardship? Well, St. Maximilian Kolbe found himself in a concentration camp, in a death camp in World War II. St. Damien of Molokai found himself with leprosy after serving those who had been exiled to, to, to Molokai, right? You, you see the saints who lost jobs and livelihoods and yet through their service of the Lord attained something so much more important and so much more enduring than than just the simple pleasures of life. And because of what they encountered, they have attained a crown of glory, and they, they are now worshiping God forever before his throne and are praying for us and interceding for us there in heaven. Now, our reading from church history addresses this in a different way. This comes from the book addressed to Autolycus by St. Theophilus of Antioch. If you say, Show me your God. I will say to you, show me what kind of person you are, and I will show you my God. Show me then whether the eyes of your mind can see and the ears of your heart hear. It is like this. Those who can see with the eyes of their bodies are aware of what is happening in this life on earth. They get to know things that are different from each other. They distinguish light and darkness, black and white, ugliness and beauty, elegance and inelegance, proportion and lack of proportion, excess and defect. The same is true of the sounds we hear, high or low or pleasant. So it is with the ears of our heart and the eyes of our mind in their capacity to hear or see God. God is seen by those who have the capacity to see him, provided that they keep the eyes of their mind open. All have eyes, but some have eyes that are shrouded in darkness, unable to see the light of the sun. Because the blind cannot see it, it does not follow that the sun does not shine. The blind must trace the cause back to themselves and their eyes. In the same way, you have eyes in your mind that are shrouded in darkness because of your sins and evil deeds. A person's soul should be clean, like a mirror reflecting light. If there is rust on the mirror, his face cannot be seen in it. In the same way, no one who has sin within him can see God. But if you will, 
you can be healed. Hand yourself over to the doctor, and he will open the eyes of your mind and heart. Who is to be the doctor? It is God who heals and gives life through his word and wisdom. Through his word and wisdom, he created the universe. For by his word, the heavens were established, and by his spirit, all their array. His wisdom is supreme. God, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he arranged the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths broke forth, and the clouds poured out dew. If you understand this, and live in purity and holiness and justice, you may see God. But before all, faith and the fear of God must take the first place in your heart, and then you will understand all this. When you have laid aside mortality and been clothed in immortality, then you will see God according to your merits. God raises up your flesh to immortality along with your soul, and then, once made immortal, you will see the immortal one if you believe in him now. That reading comes from the book addressed to Autolycus by St. Theophilus of Antioch. I'm going to go way back in the pop culture references, and this reminds me of a a little line from the old television show Laverne and Shirley. And the character named Squiggy comes in, and they're trying to convince him of something, and he just can't, can't believe it. And he says, I'll see it when I believe it. And... How true that is. You know, what was supposed to be a joke uh, really is very true that many times we refuse to see the things that are right in front of us uh, until we believe it. And for a lot of what we talk about here on the show, we're talking about the rationality of the faith because that's something that's very important. Uh, Faith gets this bad rap as being something that is irrational, And so we spend a good deal of our time talking about the things that are supremely rational. In fact, Pope John Paul II wrote an encyclical called Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason, and talked about the uh, the correlation between those two and the relationship that they have to one another. And there is this beautiful interplay between faith and reason. And even so, there are some things that can only be reached by faith. For instance, reason alone can get you to the place where you believe in one true God, But it takes faith to believe in the Trinity. And faith is a gift that is bestowed on us uh, by God. And so my prayer for you and for all of us this week is that God would deepen our faith and give us a a deeper share of that gift of faith so that we could see it more clearly. I've been coming back to this picture a lot lately of of St. Thomas Aquinas, this brilliant theologian who wrote tomes of books about theology. And at the end of his life, he had this mystical experience with the Eucharist that made him think that everything he had written to that point was straw for what he had learned about God through that gift of faith. May God give us all that gift of faith that we could see him clearly. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks to all those who submitted questions over on Twitter and Facebook. Go to that Patreon page, OutsideTheWalls.com. Click the Patreon link and get the answers to those questions right there. Today's show is brought to you by all of those who support the show through Patreon. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace.